Hello, and welcome to Belonging Before Believing, where we're loving bros and hating pictures of cows. (laughs) I'm Patrick Mathers. And I'm Brian Gumpy. Okay. Your bro. My bro. And you know what? I had... I hang out with my real legitimate like bro last night at Secret Trail Brewing. But it made me think oh, when I was on my way over here. I remember this one time I had a guy who I worked with and he's a fine guy. We got along fine. I mean, it was just like, like cool. It wasn't anything more than that, I thought. And one day as we we're leaving work, he said, dude, I love you. And I was like really weirded out by that. <laughs> Say, thank you. I don't remember what I said, but I remember walking away from that thinking, oh, that's nice. <laughs> I wonder exactly what he means by that. I love I am me ve- too. No, I'm, I'm pretty attractive. It's, it's, I'm, I'm irresistible, some might say. So, which some? The 1%. <laughs> So I was creeped out by that a little bit, and I have always thought about it when I've said it. And today I told somebody, I love you. And like before I said it, I actually stopped and contemplated for about a half a second. Do I actually love this person? (laughs) And I came to the conclusion that I did enough that I think I could say that and have a clear conscience. You didn't take it back? You know, no, no take backs. <laughs> no, no. I'm at the point in my life where I don't say something unless I mean it. Right. Well, then why did you think about it after the fact, whether or not you meant it? No, before, Uh-oh. before I said it, I, oh, I, heard I that thought about wrong. it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm starting to not like you. So this is our second episode that we're recording in my guest room and I'm glancing over to my left and just sticking out from underneath the guest bed is your daughter's ballet shoe. I hope she didn't need that. And I'm looking over to my left, and there's a painting of a cow that I know I have never seen before in your house. And, like, I've been here 900 times. At least. That's Rachel. Where did that come from? Rachel painted that. Was it one of those drink a wine and paint the time away kind of things? (laughs) Yes. I like that name. (laughs) Hey, dude, I got millions. I'll be here all week. You've got millions. You'll be here all week. Tip I thought your, your I, you just said that you are the kind of guy who doesn't say something unless he means it. You're and, right, dude. And no sooner do you say it than you say, you're "I've right. got millions." You're, right. you're no, you're right. One of my favorite lines ever, and I know I've said this before. I don't even care. Is I love Bill Burr when somebody calls him on his stuff. He's like, "I just say words." Yeah. What are you angry about? What do you mean? I just say words. Yeah. The Bible says in the abundance of words, sin is not lacking. So you know what, folks? And I've said before, that's my life verse. I just say words. Yeah. <laughs> I just say words. Yeah. Sometimes they're good ones. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes, sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know what I'm I don't say. know where it's going. <laughs> oh, dude. So much. <laughs> uh, good. How do we keep people? How do we retain people in the church with attitudes like that? <laughs> I was trying to segue there. Brian didn't get it. So I literally <laughs> pointed at the computer like, hey, this is where I'm going with this. 
the look on your face. It looked like your chair had suddenly <laughs> caught on fire. No. Your eyes got all big and you're pointing at my computer. <laughs> okay. All right. That's my cue to move along. All right. Pat, that reminds me. We have a question to answer. Wait, 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 wait. We've been we've been doing this experiment, and I know we're going to get to it in this episode, but we've been doing this experiment where I've been going to other churches in town, and most of the sermons that I've heard are just train wrecks, absolute train wrecks. This episode is feeling a little unwieldy, and it's, <laughs> I'm afraid it's getting to the point where it might become a train wreck. Got to so rein it in? We... <laughs> We need to slow this thing down and figure out where we're going. Okay. Or we're going to jump the tracks. <laughs> Especially because, honest to goodness, I love this question. It's an important one. It's You're right. It's really an important question. So what do you think are... <laughs> he made the face again. <laughs> what do you think are some reasons people of faith are drawn away from the church, not necessarily drawn away from faith? So Christians that leave the church. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, well, we're assuming that they're Christians. Right, because they're not necessarily drawn away from faith. Right, right. But we have, in the New Testament, at several points, we have writers addressing groups of people who are either leaving the church or are feeling the pull away from church, and he addresses them like Christians. And yet, he tells them, if you fall away, then you were never Christians really to begin with. So it gives me pause when we come to this question, because I'm not ready to say that people who leave the church, if they still, you know, have some kind of fond affinity for Christianity and have a positive feeling towards Jesus and will put up angels in around their front room and go to the Christian bookstore that doesn't exist anymore and buy Christian Bible verse placards and put them up, but they don't but they're not part of the covenant community. They're not part of what God has ordained. I have real trouble saying, yeah, that person's exhibiting legitimate true faith. I'm not going so far as to say you can't, that there's nobody who's like that and is a Christian. I'm not going that far, but I'm definitely struggling with the fact that somebody could leave completely, totally walk away and abandon any type of identity, any type of connection with a group of believers, with a church, and still be as strong and vibrant and as lively in their faith as they're supposed to be. So that is not exactly what I was thinking about okay. when I read this question wasn't thinking about somebody who made a conscious decision like oh yeah church isn't working for me i'm i'm well, out i was I, more i got think- offended because somebody well, said maybe. something wrong and i'm out so i think of somebody and maybe it's because i actually i just 
am familiar with people who have been through this where, you know, they move to a new place, they're church shopping around, they go to, you know, a couple services a month, they're busy, the other weeks they don't like the churches that they go to for some reason or another, they get frustrated with their search, and then, like, eventually it's, like, one weekend a month they're looking, and they're just discouraged in their search for the church that they're supposed to be at. That sounded really... Read the question one more time. I, I don't like the way that I landed that. But that's anyway, fine. That's, that's what fine. Do you I'm think, following you. Uh, yeah. What do you think are some reasons people of faith are drawn away from the church, not necessarily drawn away from faith? Okay, so I, I'm, I'm really struggling with people of faith being drawn away from the community where we're called to express our faith. I, I'm, re- I'm really struggling with that. So let, let's, okay. No, okay. So you just talked about how we were going to get to it, but... You, yeah, this is where I was going to, so okay. perfect, yeah. But that you've been going to all these different churches and that it's basically a circus out there. And I'm shocked. Yeah. Honestly, by what's that? Like, I thought, yeah, there's going to be a few of these that are stinkers, but I've been to like seven of them now, I think. Yeah. And only one of them was mild, was, was not mildly. That's not right. It, what, only one of them I would go back to. Right. So take off your Pastor Pat hat for a second. Sure. And you just moved to Chico. Sure. And you and your family are going to the seven churches. Well, minus, let's say minus one for sake of the argument. Okay. Um, so you're going to the other six churches. Mm-hmm. So it's been six weeks. There's only six churches in Chico. Or, Is that what we're saying? No, not at all. I'm okay. just saying after six weeks of that. And like I could understand somebody being a little frustrated. Um, I Now, I wouldn't just give up. and, and I'd be living. grieved. Exactly. No. Okay. No. That's okay. exactly what I was. Wait a second. There, the, I I would be, but at the same time, uh, there would be a drive in me that th- this can't be all there is. I'm missing something somewhere. There can't be only lousy churches in this town. So I would keep going. Now I grant that's not most people. Like most I said, people taking, are gonna, taking your pastor pat off for I a know, second. I know, I know. I can't, can I? Well, no, I wouldn't be pastor pat if I was going and visiting churches I was looking for to take my family. But still, I'm I'm not going to give up because I am really that committed to the church. Yeah, I no, believe I, I I believe that that's really where the that we are called to uh, the point of church. The point of church is the covenant community, the new covenant co- community that God has ordained and called together, gathered together in order to worship him, right? So if I have faith in Christ, faith in the spirit, faith in the father, faith in all that his word says, then I can't be content in anything less than being a part of the covenant community that he's gathered together. Right, and you know we went over that a bit in the why do we even go yeah. to church, or why does the church even exist? Or I don't remember exactly what but, the question was, but but there's a lot of bad churches, and here's what I think: more I, bad ones than good ones. There's more bad ones than good ones, and I think a major problem that we have in churches today, and so here's here's my hang up: is we called these people people of faith. I'm not going to call them that. 
what I'm going to say is that there have been a multitude of people that have been in churches, grown up in churches, and they have been giving, they have been given in terms of teaching, very shallow, very lifeless, hopeless um, kinds of teachings that haven't provided the very thing that God's word does provide, and that's hope and life and peace, direction and joy, right? Oh, yeah. So, I- so you have these, I'm sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you. You have these birdbath churches that are, you know, two feet wide and an inch deep, right? And so they're wide. They have this great breadth of ministries that they do. They got the kids. They got the songs. They got the the this. A church got, with kids and songs. <laughs> kids and songs. And they got some a, people really have it all. And they got the coffee. And they got the donuts. And they got the 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 singles and the, the elderly. The and they got the sports league. The and, sports league. And yeah. they got the you know super flat. They got the DJ ministry or what? I'm just grasping here, but. There's some church out there that's got that, right? Probably. They got a mile wide, but an inch deep. And so what has happened over the years, I really believe, is that churches in the late 40s, early 50s, for the sake of thinking that they need to attract new people, have dumbed down their message, have dialed the theology back, and have focused on programs and stuff rather than on the people and their needs. And so what has happened is when you try as a pastor, as a minister, to meet people's felt needs, you have inevitably taken the focus off of God and the point of church, and that's worship of God Almighty and me being changed as I worship God. Instead, now what's happened is the center of attention has gone from God to me, and now I'm going there expecting my needs to get met, expecting you to tell me, you know, eight ways to manage my budget, budget, or five ways to be a better dad, or, or these kind of things. And so what the church has turned into is a ch- the church has one message of moralism, one message of therapy, one message that's has a little bit of deity sprinkled onto it, and somebody's called it moralistic therapeutic deism. And that's not Christianity. That's something different, and just it's another religion other Horton? than Christianity. Well, he didn't coin the phrase, but he's the one who certainly has popularized the phrase. And, um, I, and I don't think he's wrong in his assessment of the church at large. And so what the church has done and become is this thing that focuses on people rather than God. And that alienates people in the end. It really you go does. to it for years and you become frustrated because what you have is you have moralism. What's that? law. You have therapy. What's that? Law. You have deism. What's that? An amorphous spirituality that inevitably focuses the attention and the duty back on you. Law. Once again, you don't have grace. No. And people, it, it doesn't look like duty because they don't quantify it as clearly and so it looks a lot like, oh, you know, you just need to be a good person, be a good dad, be a good neighbor, be a good Christian. Okay. One of the churches that I went to, 
in the sermon the pastor was preaching, one point was obedience. And he said, I quoted him, 99% obedience is still disobedience. And I thought, oh my gosh, who, who can live up to that? That's, that's crazy. I wanted in that moment to stand up and shout and yell, you hypocrite, who in the world do you think you are? How dare you give this message to these people? But I didn't have to do that because he immediately turned around and in his very next point in the message says, oh, we don't have to be perfect. You know, there's all kinds of forgiveness and grace and we just got to do the best we can and be ourselves. And I thought this is the inconsistent kind of nonsense that people who listen to this for 15, 20 years end up throwing their hands up, realizing I can't... Uh, this stuff is just a bunch of hooey. I don't need any of this because this does none of this makes any sense to me. But they're preaching it because they think it's easier than w- preaching biblically. That's their watered down version. <sighs> and so, okay, I'm glad that we got back to that because I, I think that most people would have you believe that people watered down their message because they needed to bring people in because Christianity was out of vogue when really is the exact opposite. Christianity has been, has had it really, really easy in this country for quite some time. And in, in already full churches, we see people who had been diluting the message and making the, you know, what we call the lowest common denominator lower and lower and lower to bring in more people, more people, more people. It's not that churches were empty and they were looking to bring people in. It's been good for the church in America. And so what we're seeing now is that we have all of these people who are filling these pews. What is it, like 65, 70? I don't know. Like uh, The majority of Americans consider themselves Christian. When you and I sitting here know that there's no way that that's the case. Right, no way. There's no way that that's the case. It has been fashionable. Yeah, I said it. It's been fashionable to be a Christian in America. In the and, past and and in in certain ca- so like in Southern California in the 80s and 90s even it was fashionable to be a Christian and to go to a non-denominational church. Yep. I in the south it's fashionable to go to a Southern Baptist church. Yep. You know, in the northeast it's it might be fashionable still to go to PCUSA which is a a liberal mainline church. So So I think that what we saw was people who were trying to appease the masses because the masses were going to church. It hasn't been good for America, though, and it hasn't been good for Christianity, which I know where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. So um, now we are starting to see the tide turn a little bit. We are seeing the tide turn a little. It's still quite a bit in here in California. Well, right. But I'm just saying it's still great to be a Christian in America. It still is. Um, But as we see that tide turning, you are seeing these people who are there because that's what you do. It's in vogue and fashionable to be a Christian. Those people are not content to stick around to hear their very shallow, their very, you know, self-helpy messages in a church that is no, that no longer suits them. So what's happening in Europe is they have experienced what we're going through right now about a hundred years before us. And Europe has become for the most part, post-Christian Christianity doesn't have 
almost any influence at all. The majority of people would say that they're atheist or agnostic. And Christianity is having a resurgence in certain parts. And it's coming through people who are teaching, honestly, really serious truths. 20 Schemes is a great example of a ministry that I was, you know, pursuing and interested in for a long time, preaching to the poorest people in Scotland, these these schemes, which are basically ghettos in Scotland. And, you know, there, they're preaching... I mean, they're preaching a message every bit as theological as that I would preach, and they're not dumbing it down for the people. What they're doing is they're teaching the people and bringing them up to the level where they should be at. You know, there in Hebrews it says, you know, there's some of you should be teachers at this time, but you guys are still sitting around drinking milk like babies. Grow up. And I think that is the biggest problem that we have had here in American Christianity is we think our people are too stupid. Oh, we, we think they're so dumb. We think they can't handle it. So we put the cookies on the lower shelf that for lack of a better phrase. And in reality, what we've done is taught them, Oh, you're, you're, you can't figure out the deep things of the Lord here. Let me distill it down for you in these, these stupid principles that once you have heard them for the last 20 years are going to not affect you at all. So I got all that lead up and you got to say my punchline. Go. <laughs> you just did. No, it's great. Um, I'm preaching here, dude. I know. You can't contain this. I know. You can't hold me back. You, yeah. Don't I, call it a comeback. I know. I've been here for years. Oh, stop it. Now you're sounding old. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm uh, going to knock you so out. I really. Mama said knock you out. I'm following you this whole time. <laughs> I, 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 I know. I got it. So. No, I genuinely, that's where I was going. Before it was all of these nominal Christians is what we would call them. And so now that it's passe to be a Christian and you have those people leaving, then you have the actual Christians left behind who are starving. Yes. Who are starving. And what we see in churches now is that you will see these pastors who will get up there and they assume the gospel. I heard somebody say that this week, and I loved it. Explain that. So they go in there, and they're not going to tell you about the riches of the gospel. They're not going to tell you that Jesus cried, or Jesus cried, <laughs> that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life that you couldn't live, that he died, that he was obedient even unto death, that he was raised on the third day, conquering death, so that you have righteousness, Um imputed from him to you that you had the penalty for your sin paid for that now your heart has been changed now you are no longer a slave to sin but because of the victory that we have in jesus you are able to go you are able to love and you are able to obey him they assume all that they assume all that because when was the last time that you went to one of these churches and heard even a tenth of that okay so all of the churches that i've gone to zero even the one that i really thought, yeah, th- okay, here's one I would come back to. Still, even there, I didn't hear any of that. So they assume the gospel, like, oh, you're a Christian, so you know you all You already this. know all so the gospels. I, you're, that box has been ticked. Right. That's what you're saying, right? Right. Like, it's the the very, very fundamental stuff that you once you know it, then you move on. This is two plus two is four. Now we move on to the important stuff rather than the gospel is the very warp and woof of our life and we need it for every breath we take for the rest of our life, right? Absolutely. Okay. It's, it's being able to walk. So you're out here and I'm, I can't even follow that analogy because 
even then I'm trying to say that they're like running and jumping and all this other stuff, but, but no, not. it's not at all. Right. It's like being able to lift your head up compared to being able to walk. Like it's just, they, they like you said exactly where I was headed. They think you're stupid. Do not sit under preaching that is obviously conducted in a way to where your pastor thinks you're stupid. If you hear a sermon and you don't understand what's being said, you're smart. Every single person that's listening to this is smart. If you hear a sermon and you walk away from that and you honestly can't say, I don't understand what that sermon was about. Not, okay, I got a good point out of this and I got a good point out of this, but I didn't understand the whole thing, then that might be a tell that you're in one of these therapeutic, moralistic churches. If you came away from there and you felt like I could have heard every single thing that I just heard if I pick up a study Bible and read the introduction or read the notes at the bottom of the page... You need to go. Or the jacket of a book you, in a Christian bookstore. Yeah, you, you need to leave. You you should be challenged. You should be hearing things that are deep and profound. And mo- the, the word of God is a ocean of depth. Is I have been preaching out of it for 20 plus years now. And I, I have not even come close to the depth of that the that there is in the book. I've taught multiple books multiple times and every time I keep coming back and there's riches and there's treasure there. <clears throat> we need to keep coming back to the the deepness of the word of God. I really believe part of the the major part of the problem here is that churches have thought too little of the people who are coming. And therefore, it doesn't make it attractive to the people who aren't. Absolutely. So what do I think are some reasons people of faith are being drawn away from the church? I think it's everything from the way that the pastor dresses to the color of the carpet, to the music being too loud, to the music being too lame, to the song choices, to the number of kids that are in the church to the number of college people, to the number of people who are your age, to, you know, you used to date a guy who goes there, to everything in between. I think there are thousands of reasons why people are being, you know, pulled or tempted to go away from a church. But the reality is, is if the teaching was good, if you were being challenged, if you were being shaped by any measure of, of preaching that was happening at that place, if being in that community, if you had fellowship, if iron was sharpening iron in the way that it should, the carpet would be good enough. The music would bug you for a second, but you would be able to worship. You would be dwelling with understanding with this community of people because you were there to lift the name of Jesus. You are there to be transformed. You are not there to be served. You are not there to be entertained. You are not there to be a consumer. You are there to worship. And that comes from the absolute top. And I'm not here to bag on pastors because I are one, but the reality is it, it has to come from the pulpit. You have to be hearing things like that in order for the culture of that church to follow suit. 
And so it, it does sound like we are picking on preaching a lot, but that, that, that's what happens. I'm going to brag a little bit. Sovereign joy is not the be-all, end-all. I'm not even, I, I totally get that. I'm not, under no illusion there. You will not like our carpet. <laughs> that little tiny strip down the middle. We, we, have a, we, have a, we rent a building that has all kinds of distractions in it. We, <laughs> we have um, all of our kids in there with us because we only went run one room of that building. The music we have is a guitar and sometimes a cello, so there's no rhythm at all. We have hymnals because when we started, we couldn't afford CCLI licensing and somebody generously bought us a bunch of hymnals. And now that we can afford CCLI licensing, we do some of the other kinds of praise course kind of things, but we still use hymns because it's kind of what we're, we, we've got. We do call to worship at the beginning the one thing that we have that nowhere else that I've been to has had is reverence. And we do communion every single Sunday. And I preach, honestly, a kind of long sermon for the churches that I've been to. I mean, I go for like 42 minutes. That's, I shoot for 40. Sometimes I go a little long, but that's, that's kind of my goal. 38, 42 minutes is my goal. And, and that's kind of long for some people. I'll tell you what, people's minds are blown when I tell them I'm the oldest guy in our church. Like, by far. Like, Joel is the closest one, and he's, what, like, nine years younger than me? Something like that? It's like, I, by far, and people are just boggled. It does not compute that there's a church full of young people, young families, that come and they worship in an odd building, singing hymns, listening to a long sermon and taking communion every Sunday. And it's because we really believe God's word will do what God said his word would do. And I think that God will do his work in his people and I don't need to dumb it down for them. I'll bring it up to them. I'll bring them up to that place and we'll go through deep things. And, and I don't think that they're incapable of understanding. And there might be some things that go over their head a little bit, but when we come back around to it, they'll have that foundation to understand it later on. And so I, I am tooting our own horn a little bit here. I get we're not the only place that's like that, but we, we definitely see the problem, understand it, and are not willing to continue to go down that road. Yeah. And I just talking about the, the preaching and you're talking about preaching for 42 minutes and maybe some of it's over people's heads. The reality is, is you may be thinking that, Oh, you leave a sermon and you don't remember everything that was talked about. But the reality is, is you probably don't remember any of learning to speak English and you probably don't remember your driving lessons and learning how to drive a car, but you, you, you do know how to do those things now. Yeah. And so even if you can't remember exactly when you heard it, where you learned it, you are, if you're faithful, you show up and you're paying attention. These are going to be things that you pick up. And even if you think that they were over your head, all of a sudden these things will start clicking in your mind. People leave the church because churches don't trust the ordinary means of grace. 
which is what you're getting at. The ordinary means of grace mean the ordinary things God has given his church that impart grace to his people and grow them. You're right. How many sermons can you honestly say I remember hearing? Like, like you can remember the points. Like I can think of like five right. and I like listen to them a lot right. and they matter a lot to me. And yet I'm a completely different person because of all the sermons that I've heard today than I was 20 years ago. So when we pray, Lord, may we leave here knowing you better and more in love with you than we came in. The reason isn't because I'm expecting my message to be so impactful and I poured so much into it. It's because I believe the Holy Spirit is going to do his work when we do the things he says we should do. Communion, singing, fellowship, praying, and hearing the preached word of God. Those are the things God said he will use to mature, to shape, to grow his church. And when quote unquote churches abandon those things and go a different direction, frankly, can we still call them churches? That's kind of that's what the I, question, that's right? Kind of where I was thinking of wrapping up is a lot of the reason that people are leaving these churches is because they're not churches. They're not. They're not really churches. So, question of the day. Wow, that that's. I mean, let's just take a step back and go. Wow, we just we just called out a lot of people, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I like mostly because they're not here. Well, no, if, I, I don't care. I'll tell them. I love the provocative. So I got a question of the day. Okay. If you were found out tomorrow, your spouse got a new job and you're leaving the state, when you started looking for your next church, what are the top three things that you're looking for in your next church? What are the three things that you're looking for in Carpet, your next church? Good lighting and... A heart player. <laughs> A, a, a dog kennel. <laughs> All right. I did go to a church service once where they were baptizing animals. Oh, yeah. There's one in town that does that. Yeah. It was out there. Maybe we'll go there for one of our little experiments. Wow. All right. What are your three things, folks? Hit us up. Instagram, Facebook, and the Twitter. Email. You could do that. You could just call me my phone number. My actual phone number's on our website. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. We believe that you belong. Hello. Oh. Hello.